What are the biggest problems in Australian society at the moment? What are the big problems? Uh, the environment, maybe the housing crisis, the health system, rising interest rates, maybe justice for Indigenous Australians or for refugees and asylum seekers. Many of us have different opinions about the big problems, but here is the bigger question and the important question, I guess, what can we do about it? What can we do about these things? How can there be change that's real and lasting and just? Many people see the solution is the political process, democracy. We vote in our preferred government and then we communicate our concerns to them through emails and letters, protests maybe, <laughs> surveys. Uh, and then the government makes right decisions, hopefully, about policy and legislation. And if enough people don't like what the government does, then we vote in another party. Uh, that's our system. Uh, but just because one party gets the most votes, it doesn't mean that its policies are right. And it doesn't even mean that voters will make good decisions either. Voters have self-interest and ignorance, uh, and we often don't vote well. And all of us are tempted to choose what will be good for us rather than what is good for everybody. So that's democracy. Other people see, well, democracy can't really change things. Capitalism, now that's what changes things. Decisions are made by companies and shareholders. Uh, the, those with the most money have the most power to change. But of course this is even less likely to bring about a just outcome, isn't it? Business and economic decisions are, are always made out of self-interest. They're made for profit. A, a business is not there to, be, to bring justice. And so capitalism tends to exploit and oppress the poor and the powerless. Capitalism tends to result in an, in an even greater imbalance of power and wealth and justice. So what's the answer? The reality is most of these problems that we think are big problems, they're, they're too big for any one solution. There is no perfect system to change because there are no perfect people. The problem isn't the system, the problem is people. Because all of us are selfish and self-interested. All of us naturally want others to fail so that we can succeed. The problems of our society in general are symptoms of a deeper problem. Our sin our brokenness and our rebellion before God. We look for solutions to the problems in society by changing the externals, the big outside things. We change the governments or the structures or the economy or the legislation. But the truth is the problems are inside. What we need is something that can change us. Now, I'm not saying Christians shouldn't be involved in the political process or involved in industry or business. It's great for Christians to engage in the political process. 
to encourage biblical morality and justice in our society. It's great for Christians to run for parliament, to vote, to sign petitions, to write letters to politicians. All those things are good. But any change we manage to make in our society is temporary. It's external. It deals with symptoms, not the cause. What our country needs is Jesus. Good policy, good government, good legislation are all important, but what we need most is the kingdom of God. Only the kingdom of God can break into the powers and the authorities of this world and change them for good from the inside. And the kingdom will only come as people, individuals, submit and serve the king. When people listen to Jesus, repent of their sin and obey him. That's what this passage is teaching us today. We saw last week how Jesus prayed uh, and how he commanded us to pray. That was the start of chapter 11. We learned uh, we are to pray that God would hallow his name, that he would act to make his name holy. And we were taught to pray that God would bring in his kingdom, your kingdom come. We were to pray that God would bring in a kingdom where people's daily needs would be met, uh, where sin would be dealt with and where relationships between people would be healthy. That's a big prayer. I I hope, as Pierre preached last week, you you realised how big of a prayer that is. Because Jesus is praying for God to work in his world in large, external, structural ways, but also in internal, personal ways. What we call the Lord's Prayer is one that Jesus learned from places like Ezekiel chapter 36, where God promises to bring in a new system, a new world order to bring in his kingdom. His people are in exile. They're in Babylon as punishment for their rebellion and idolatry. And God is tired of people dishonouring his reputation, of profaning his holy name, of making his name not holy. And so he promises he's going to make a change. He's going to bring back his people into his land and restore them and there'll be peace and prosperity. There will be a new political structure. But he's not just going to change the externals when he makes his name holy. Look at what else he promises to do in Ezekiel 36 verse 25. He promises, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God is promising not just a new structure, but a new people. He's going to change them from the inside out. That's the only way to bring genuine transformation, change that lasts in this world. A new kingdom that will really work to bring the most good to the most number of people. 
That's what everyone wants, isn't it? How can we bring good to the most number of people? Uh, this will do that because it begins on the inside and works out. And so that's what Jesus prays at the start of chapter 11. It's what he teaches his disciples to pray, that God's kingdom would come, that his rule would be seen, a rule that begins in human hearts. But Jesus doesn't just pray for that to happen. He, he begins to bring it in. And that's what he does from verse 14 of chapter 11. That's today's passage. He drives out a demon from a mute man. And the man can talk again. It's an extraordinary demonstration of power to change. And the crowd is amazed. And Jesus describes it as one kingdom invading another. Do you see it there in verse 17? Satan's kingdom is in charge of this man. But then Jesus comes along and drives out demons. One kingdom invades another kingdom. And then in verse 20 he says, But if I drive out demons by the finger, the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. A new system, a new kingdom that can deal with evil. God is stepping in to get rid of suffering. And Jesus goes on to describe this change of regime, this change of authority, uh, like two men who are fighting over possession of a house. Uh, verse 21, he says, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armour in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. Now, Jesus is describing his ministry. Uh, he is the stronger man who is beating up Satan. He's just strong. He's not stronger. Uh, it might be demon possession of this mute man. It, it may be sickness that Jesus heals. He is the stronger man who beats up Satan's power. But not just in the ministry of Jesus then. Jesus is still the stronger man beating up what Satan is doing. Maybe it's Jesus dealing with the, the sinful actions in your life, changing your motivations so you just don't desire those things anymore. Maybe it's Jesus destroying anger in your heart or bitterness and replacing those things with contentment and joy. Or it may be Jesus healing relationships between you and your friends, or within our church, or within your families. All of those things are Satan's work, and King Jesus is the stronger man who is undoing and setting things right. But getting rid of evil is only the beginning. Jesus goes on to say you have to replace that evil with something else. Uh, it's one thing to empty the demons out of someone, uh, but then you have to replace those evil spirits with the Holy Spirit. Now only God can do that. Genuine transformation will only come when the change is internal. 
Now, from verses 24 to 26, Jesus describes... It's a, it's a little difficult to understand what he's describing. Uh, he's describing what happens when only half of that process happens. Perhaps he's thinking of Jewish exorcists in verse 19 who, who cast out demons but have no authority to replace those demons with the Holy Spirit. But, but he describes the situation where an evil spirit is cast out of a man but then sometime later he comes back and he finds the house swept clean and put in order. So he brings seven more evil spirits and they go back into the man and the man is worse than he was before. Now, Jesus is referring to evil spirits, but I think it's a similar situation when we think about change which humans try to bring to situations. It's the sort of half solution we bring with structures, with governments, with new policies. We can't change the internals. We can't change someone's nature. Whether it's exorcisms or whether it's the systems in our society, we can only change external conditions. We shouldn't be looking to politics or economics or even to religious systems to change people for real. Don't look to human solutions, they can only do half the job. I think that's Jesus' point. So what's the answer? If humans can't really change people, what hope is there? Well, verse 27, it begins by listening to Jesus and obeying him. Verse 27, a woman calls out, blessed is the mother who gave birth to you. Sort of the religious version of a heckler, I think. And Jesus replies, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And then in verse 29, he, he goes on to describe how that's the problem with the current wicked generation of his time. They don't listen. They won't see. He says even Gentiles are doing a better job of listening and seeing. Verse 31, the Queen of Sheba, she travelled from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. But now Jesus is here who's greater than Solomon. His point is clear. Listen to Jesus. Follow the example of the Queen of Sheba. Or verse 32, the people of Nineveh. Gentiles, wicked Gentiles. But for all of their wickedness, when Jonah preached to them, they listened and repented. And he says it again. Now one greater than Jonah is here. And the lesson is clear. Do the same as the Ninevites. Listen and repent. Verse 33, he says it in another way. He talks about being a light on a stand. He's there for everyone to see. Look to the light. And when you look to the light, the light will fill your whole body. Now, it's not biologically correct, is it? But Jesus is talking about spiritual things. Verse 34, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your, whole, when your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they, your eyes, when your eyes are bad, your body also is full of darkness. 
See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. It's a very strange way of describing things, isn't it? But I think he's talking about how the light of Jesus' message changes you on the inside. Hopefully you've seen that's the theme of these verses about Jesus changing us on the inside. The change of our nature that God promised back in Ezekiel 36 when he promises to give us a new heart. So Jesus says, hear and obey, verses 28 to 32, and then he says, look to the light and your body will be full of light, verses 35 and 36. I think they're two ways of saying the same thing. The key to changing society and what's wrong in the world is Jesus and he begins by working in you as you listen and obey to him uh, and obey him and then from verse 37 he he begins to work on those uh, who are not listening and obeying verse 37 he goes to a pharisee's house for dinner and when he doesn't ceremonially wash before the meal the pharisee's surprised And Jesus tells a few hard truths about how the Pharisees focus on the outside when the inside is the real problem. So verse 39. Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. He's thinking about the ceremonial washing of hands. And they haven't thought about their own hearts. Jesus' point is it's more important to be clean on the inside, to do something about the greed and the wickedness of your heart rather than your hands. Focus on that. Verse 41, he says, Be generous to those who need it. That will show that you are clean and new on the inside. Same again in verse 42. The Pharisees focused on giving God a tenth of all their possession right down to their herb garden. Wouldn't get much out of our herb garden. A couple of mint leaves and a bit of parsley. That's not very important, is it? But giving God a tenth of everything you have, it's not going to bring God's kingdom in. Jesus says, woe to you. Instead, you should have focused on justice for other people. You should have focused on loving God. You do those things, says Jesus, that will show that you're new on the inside. Now that's the key to changing society. It's only internal personal change that can lead to lasting structural change, to genuine transformation in society. Or verse 43, once again, the Pharisees love to be the centre of attention more than they love God. They're focusing on the wrong things. (laughs) Verse 45, I love this, A scribe takes offence at Jesus' rebukes and he says, Teacher, when you criticise the Pharisees, you're you're criticising us. (laughs) Very foolish, Jesus turns in. Well, I've got something to say to you as well. Verse 46, you experts in the law, you think the solution to changing society is just add more rules. We stayed in some caravan parks in New Zealand and we heard from one, one couple we were talking to about another park they were in. And she said, 
everywhere there were signs. Don't do this, don't touch that, put that back. And she said it was, it was just horrible. It, it didn't produce a better caravan park, it just made people more frustrated. Just signs everywhere. Do not touch this sign. Make sure you read this sign. <laughs> and, and so the scribes, they pile up law upon law because they think that will make society better. Until there are so many laws for people to keep that they are crushed under the weight of the laws. And rather than making things clearer, they just make it more confusing and more difficult for people. They haven't helped people to hear and obey God. They haven't emphasised justice and mercy and love. And so Jesus delivers his verdict. Jump down to verse 52. Woe to you experts of the law. Rather than make things clearer, you've made them harder. Rather than helping to bring in God's kingdom, you're actually stopping people from entering it. What a terrible judgement. Because the kingdom of God is the solution to what's wrong with the world. Human solutions will not work. And so we come into chapter 12. Jesus turns his attention back to his disciples. Start of chapter 12. With a fairly obvious application, considering what he said about the Pharisees. Be on your guard against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. The day is coming when the secrets of hypocrites will be revealed, when what's inside will be made clear for everyone to see. Jesus says, ignore the Pharisee hypocrites and listen to me. Hear and obey my words. See his light. Let it change. Bring it in through your eyes and let it change your heart so that inside you is full of light. When God has done that work in you, that's when the kingdom will begin to grow in his world, in structures and organisations and societies. God's kingdom will grow one person at a time. Did you notice the order of things in verse 1? Luke is the only one to mention this. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling one another... Big problems in society. The strong crushing the weak. Chaos. So what does Jesus do? Does he speak to the whole crowd? Does he tell them all to stop trampling one another? No, he speaks to the disciples. I think the point is they're the key, they're the priority. God's kingdom comes to work in each disciple who hears and obeys Jesus. And then that person allows Jesus to be king a little more each day and that person lives out justice and mercy to the people around them. And so God's kingdom grows one person at a time like a mustard seed that grows into a huge tree or a pinch of yeast that affects the whole lump of dough. That's how, on an earthly level, God answers the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. All of that is God's work. It is God's work, as we continue reading, that enables the Christian to fearlessly face 
persecuting opponents, verse 4. After all, the worst that human, people, human beings can do is to kill your body. What's the worst that can happen? They can kill me. Then I get to be with Jesus. Much better to fear God, verse 5, who has the power over hell. It's God's work that enables a Christian to not fear the world, but instead, verse 6 and 7, to trust our Heavenly Father's love and care and protection. It's God's work through his Holy Spirit, verse 12, that enables the Christian to acknowledge Jesus before men, to stand up for him. And Jesus promises that the Spirit will give us courage to speak and the words to say. It's just like God had promised back in Ezekiel 36. One day he wouldn't just bring back a whole nation and transplant them into another place. He would bring new life to dead hearts. He'd replace their heart of stone with a new loving, obedient heart and and give his spirit to his people and, and move them to follow his laws. He would work from the inside out. God promised it and then in the fullness of time Jesus came and he lived the kingdom and he died and he was raised to life and when he returned to his father's right hand he poured out his Holy Spirit onto God's people. And so now we live in the light of that. We are able to live God's kingdom. Not perfectly but genuinely we are able to hear God's word and obey it. And to want, and we can want to obey his law. And we are able to move beyond greed and pride and hypocrisy and wickedness. And we are able to show love and humility and justice and mercy. We're able to be on our guard against hypocrisy. We're able to live consistently. We're able to to move beyond fear to courage, to trust our Heavenly Father and to speak up for Jesus. Jesus is calling us to bold, subversive, culture-changing, justice-bringing, kingdom-dawning action. I'll say that again. He's calling us to bold, subversive, culture-changing, justice-bringing, kingdom-dawning action. And it's all by the power of his spirit working in our hearts. And God loves to give us his spirit. Do you remember Jesus' promise in verse 13 of chapter 11 after the Lord's Prayer? He said, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In this coming week, you will have opportunities to make a difference in our society. They almost certainly won't be huge, You may have the opportunity to complete surveys or sign petitions or write letters. But what Australia and our world needs most is Jesus. 
you will have opportunities to present Jesus to a watching world or at least to a group of your friends who are watching you. As you courageously live and speak for him. Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before the angels of God. He's watching. And what Australia and the world needs most is for God's kingdom to come. As he pours out his spirit on individual men and women and children, as he replaces their dead, sinful hearts with loving, uh, with living, warm, obedient ones, and he makes us new. If that's what we want to see, then above everything else, we should pray. We should pray the, Je- the, the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.